Alright, so when I started, when I decided to start, not start preaching, but when I decided to preach today, um, beforehand, I, I spent a long time thinking about like, what is holding us back as a youth group? Because, I, in my mind, 10 truly devoted Christians would do a lot more than what we're doing. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, the 12 disciples, just 12, made up one of the world's biggest religions. So I think we're really lacking in basically everything, and we need to get better, and that's what inspired this. We are, it's hard, it's hard to grow in your faith and become a better Christian. We're surrounded in a world full of hatred for what God wants us to do. Like, watch this TV once, and not any religious channels, and you'll know what I'm saying. We, we need to get past this stagnant faith we have. We're kind of in the middle, like, we're, we're not doing it. We're not all in, we're not, we, we believe in God, so we're in the, right in the middle. We have stagnant faith, it's not okay. Um, Revelations 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. We've all heard that. We're not doing anything about it. So how do we get the right faith? I think the right faith, I call it, is an uh, imperfectly perfect faith. It means a faith that isn't flawless but can be used by God. Because it's hard to have a flawless faith. I'm not asking you guys for that. But just something that God can use us for so we can actually start doing stuff for the people in this world. That's what we're called to do. But there are, there are problems when we do that. I mean, there are a lot of things that hold us back from being exactly who God wants us to be. And we all know that. We all be who God wants us to be. Uh, one, of the, one of the big ones would be hardships. When hardship comes like, like somebody died in your family, or you lose a job, or you, 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 Satan plants like deceitful thoughts and evil thoughts in your head. It makes you blame God for the situation you're in, and like, or thinking he's not there. Both of which have occurred to me in the past. What? This, there's this guy I know. I'm not gonna name his name. He when when he was younger, he lived with his dad for the most part. But his dad was abusive and he would starve him because he's kind of like on a, he's, been, he's always kind of been like on the overweight side. I think he has some type of diabetes, I don't know. Not really. But his dad would starve him. And for, I mean, not long enough for him to die, but just abuse him. And he would, and I was talking with my friend around that guy, about that God, and he was like, oh, I don't believe in God. So ask him why he gives us this story. And, he's, and it just, it stuck with me for a while. This was a couple of years ago. It stuck with me because I, I wasn't at the point in my faith where I could tell him that there's a God who loves him and withholds nothing from him. I, I, I wasn't there in my faith. I, I wasn't sure enough. I was, had a weird foundation. I couldn't tell. And I really, I wish I could. It's one of my regrets. But we, we can only help people once we, like, help ourselves. Of course. Yeah. We gotta read scripture to do that. We gotta understand how God loves us. God you'll you'll read in the Bible multiple stories, that like probably thousands, maybe a hundred uh, stories of God showing his love and affection for us. I mean a lot of a lot of non Christians kinda point out a lot of the Old Testament where God is like mean 
but there's generally like a good reason for it, and it usually centers around love, his love for us. Example, Noah. Like he, I mean, he killed the entire world because we were all awful, but he kept one person because he thought he was righteous and he didn't want to kill us off completely. And it, like, if I were God, I would kill us all off because we're pretty awful regardless. I'm sure Noah had his flaws. But he kept one of us because he didn't want to lose us yet. That's pretty amazing. The story of Job, we've all heard it. The righteous man, Satan, walked up to Jesus. God, walk on him. He went up to him and was like, hey, that Job guy, he's pretty good, but I bet he wouldn't be good if you did this, this, and this to him. So God is like, all right, I trust that guy. Do it. So he lost all his money. He was a wealthy guy. Righteous guy, wealthy guy. Lost all his money, his cattle, his kids, his wife. He had infection all over him. He was just, he was doing awful, but he, he was still righteous. He stuck by God throughout everything. He did not sin and blame God. Job, Job 2.10 says, well, he, he said to his wife, he said, his wife previously said, just curse God already and be done with all his suffering. But he told his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we not receive good from God? Shall we not receive shall we not shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. That that basically means God is more than just somebody who loves us. He is a father and he's here to judge. Judge us and lead us also. He's not gonna always show the love. So sometimes hardships happen. They help you in your faith, really. There's plenty of Bible verses that where uh, people would be saying, oh, I rejoice in this hardship because it tests their faith. It makes them better. A diamond is not expensive until it's taken from the cave it came from because diamonds grow in huge caves with big old pillars. It's taken from the cave and are refined. They're cut into tiny little things. But that's what makes them expensive. I mean, if you just got a big old pillar of Diamond, it won't be worth anything because there's already too much of it. You gotta cut off all the crappy parts. So that's essentially what he's doing when he puts you through hardships. He's making sure you're worthy of his love for you, basically. It all centers around love. Another big issue is doubt. Whenever I try to progress in my faith, I generally plateau, or I guess in my mind, plateau. To as good as I can possibly get, and then I'm like, no, nah. and I relapse into my old sinful ways because I'm afraid that ooh, like everything I'm doing or will do or everything I'm getting for God isn't worth it. Like I'm afraid that He's not there or He doesn't care or maybe I'm just doing things wrong and I should stop. This, I, this, I mean, that stops after a while, but we're not getting into that. But that's been a problem. Doubt is a was a huge problem for me. But my heart was in the wrong place. That's why it was happening. Like, I used I used to sin not because not because I um, didn't want to, because I was told not to. My heart was like I didn't I would I didn't love God. I just did did what I was supposed to do. You can't you can't you can't think of him like a drill sergeant. I loved him like a drill sergeant, which really wasn't love at all. I just did whatever he told me because that's what I was supposed to do. We can't look at him as a jail sergeant. He's a father who loves us. We gotta love him like that. 
we gotta we gotta trust in him. That's a huge part of doubt. And I know that sounds kind of like stupid because oh, I'm gonna trust in somebody that I'm doubting. But that really, that's all you gotta do. You gotta have faith. That's the basis of our entire religion. Multiple religions. Um, you gotta you gotta focus on the essentials: prayer, church, and Bible. Those will help you trust in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots and by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's pretty good. That's exactly how our trust, faith, is. Well, that's how our faith is when we trust in the Lord. Like, you you don't you don't falter at all. You, you bad things can happen anytime you, you rely on the Lord. That's you won't worry at all. That's yeah, it's kind of it doesn't make sense very much. To be honest with you. It's it's hard to do this, but it's something you need to do if you're gonna grow in your faith. You you'll get recognition when you Growing your faith also. I can't I can't remember a time where I started trying to build up my faith again and I didn't get recognition for it. There wasn't somebody that recognized that I was becoming a better person. Wow. Because how are you not gonna recognize that? You're you're becoming a more godly person. That's pretty amazing. There's no way you're not gonna be recognized. It's just it's it's incredible. And it recognition really helps you. <laughs> in your faith. Because, I mean, discouragement is a huge problem. And just like that, you just gotta pick it up and keep going. is basically what keeps our faith going. Staying faithful and growing your faith, well, staying faithful is only gonna happen if you continue to grow in your faith. We have stagnant faith, and that's, a, that's why I wanted to preach on it. It's, it's a pretty big problem if we're going to do anything for God. An older tree that bears plenty of fruit is harder to chop down than a newer tree with none, of course. So we have to keep growing in our faith, like a tree. That was original. I, that's one of those quotes I wanted you to write that down. How, how do you grow in your faith? You have to have a relationship with him, obviously. I find it kind of funny that with people, we have, you're naturally have relationships with people. It's easy, second nature. Find a friend, hey, we're friends now, and you work to have a relationship. But when it comes to God, we completely forget, as if it, relationships didn't come from God. Adam, Adam and Eve was not our idea. It happened after divine intervention. He plucked out Adam's rib and made a person and made relationships. All right. <laughs> no, it's insane. Like, oh, we have to turn to him if we're going to have no relationships with normal people. Love Monk, he's, he's always saying how um, we, need, we need God to be the center of all relationships. Well, that's true. You need God to have relationships, really. I think that's where you learn relationships from. I mean, you could argue atheists have relationships, but 
We're probably just not good. We want to break down the assumptions of relationships so we can help progress in relationships. Love. We need, we need love. That's probably one of the biggest things in a relationship, I think. I mean, it doesn't have to happen real quick. But I've been struggling to figure out how to even explain this to you because I don't really know for sure myself how we love God. It's hard to love somebody you don't see. So this, this is probably the hardest part of this entire sermon. But I'm going to try William Shakespeare. I'm reading some <laughs> Romeo and Juliet in English. I'm telling you, as I went, I picked up a new thing. Like, that could go well. William Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet wrote, Love moderately. Love law. Long love doth so. Too swift arrives as tardy as too slow. Uh, that, that means, like, love, love in the middle. If that's, that's the key to a relationship. It's not going to happen too quickly. It's not, and it, if it happens too quickly, it's as bad as if it happens too slowly. If it takes forever to get in a relationship with God, I mean, that's still fine, but you're not guaranteed time. And if you try to find love work too quickly, it's probably not love. That's kind of one of the things of Romeo and Juliet. They, they fell in love in like a day. That's not real love. That's, that's one of the problems for camps and conventions. You, you're given like two or five days to figure out how to love God, and that's not going to happen. You, that's something you have to take upon yourself and work for every day of your life to figure out how to love God. This is a long time coming. I mean, how many conventions have I gone to? Like six? Something? Five? I don't know. It took me up until like maybe last year to figure out how to love God. It's a long, it's it's not easy. It's something you have to do yourself. It's not just going to happen. I mean, I guess something amazing could happen to you. And like, wow, I really believe in God now. But if you if that's where it stops, you're not going to love God. Uh, one of the biggest steps for me in understanding how to love God is understanding God's sacrifice for me. And that it's kind of something that is thrown in our face all the time. Like, because we hear it all the, all the time on Sundays around Easter, God died for you. But that's really incredible. Like, God didn't have to die for you at all. He could have stayed in heaven and let you guys go to hell. He didn't have to. But he died for you, came down and was tortured for you just so he could talk to you and have a relationship with you and bring you to heaven. If that doesn't move you, then you really just don't understand it. And I don't know how to explain it any better than that. Hebrews 26 says basically that if we keep sinning intentionally, there remains no sacrifice for our sins. So let's say that, I don't know, let's say you always do every Monday afternoon. It's a weird time to say, I don't know. But if you keep on doing that and knowingly doing that, God didn't die for that. He didn't die for you to continue living your own ways. You're, you'll go to hell if you keep doing that. And that's, I think that also kind of contributes to loving God. You kind of have to. Because you'll go to hell. And I don't want to be preaching hell for you, but it's urgent. There needs to be some, some kind of change made in your life. And 
That's why I approve of this. That's love. That will be the change. In the scripture, love is usually brought up around knowing him. Because that makes sense. Like you can't love somebody you don't know. When I when I like really decided to do this sermon, um, it was a Sunday and we were worshiping and like three three Bible verses just popped in my head like at the same time. And it was really weird. But uh, and I, um, I googled them to figure out what verses are because I just not fun. Anyway, the one of them was John two fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This means you can't, like every every aspect of your life, you can't care about besides maybe your family and friends and God. And that's kind of rough, but that's what it takes to love God. You gotta not care about anything in this world. You gotta be eager to live for Him and die for Him and go see Him in heaven. Paul wrote in the Bible. I don't know. I didn't find out what book. I found it. I didn't write it down. Paul wrote, "For my desire is to be with Christ. For for my desire is to be with Christ. For that is better. That's all he wanted was to be with Christ, and that's how we have to be if we're going to love Him." John 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they haven't seen. So if you hate anybody, have any hatred in your soul for any person, there's no way you love God. That's, that's pretty simple. There's no way to explain a lot of that. But just think about that. If you hate anybody, you don't know God. That's the last verse was Matthew 7, 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did you not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This verse had me thinking. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. It's, it's actually a verse I've been struggling with a long time, every time I read it, because it just sounded reasonable. For them to, like, their, their works, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know what else you could do. I mean, I've never, I've never prophesied in his name. I've never cast out demons. I haven't done plenty of works. Probably nothing. Ate some fake food once. Wow. But no, I didn't do anything for, like, as mighty as that, really. And that scares me, because in my mind, if I had to do something mightier than that, then I'm not, I'm going to hell, basically. But I read around the verse, because I needed to understand it, obviously, in context is really important in the scripture. I read around the verse, and basically, what he's saying when he says, when he says, I never knew you, is you're not going to be saved by only your works. Works are important, but they're not what is going to get you to heaven. Jesus is the law, and if you don't, if you don't, if you don't do the thing, if you're not saved by grace, then you are a worker of lawlessness because you're not doing it for him. You're, I mean, in his name, but you need him. You, that's, yeah, you gotta love him. Jesus had two commandments. One was, love your God with all your mind, heart, and soul. And the second one, 
second greatest commandment that he had was love your neighbors as yourself. That really, I think that kind of sums up our entire, this, my entire sermon. Because you'll, if you love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and you love everybody else as much as you love yourself, then you'll do exactly what you need to do. You'll grow in your faith, and you'll do works. That's that simple, but we don't. I think we really need to think about those three passages and really figure out if we really know God. And if we don't, you need to get in your Bible and know God. Otherwise, you're not. You're going to stay stagnant in your faith. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Action. That is another thing that's really important for relationships. I mean, I guess you could spend your entire relationship texting each other, little heart eye emojis, but <laughs> that's not going to be very good, I guarantee it. A actions really are what give your words merit. It, that applies to everything. If you say, oh, I'm really good at basketball, but you don't play basketball, you're not really good at basketball. And that is, it's, it's even more crucial with your relationship with God because our actions are what changes people. That's what gets them to go with God. We can't just say, hey, God loves you and expect them to do anything about that. That's, that's not the words, they're just words. They don't mean that much. James 2.19 says, you believe, we've gone through this a thousand times. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And I love that verse. I think everybody likes that verse because it kind of kicks you off your pedestal. Because you're not that good if you're not doing works. If you, everything you say doesn't mean anything. I really like, especially the and shudder part. Because that means, in my mind, that means the demons are better than you at that point. They are, because they did something about their faith. They, they knew God was there, and they shuddered. They did something. If you know that God was there and didn't do anything, they're better than you. That's just how it is. You have to, before, before communion, we say you, you have to believe, you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is, your, is God, and you have to believe in your heart. And I think a lot of the people that take communion are liars. Because when you believe in your heart, there's conviction. There's a fire in your heart. You hear a lot of worship songs about that. There's a fire in your heart, and there's action that follows with that. And you don't see that in a church. How many people do we go have going on Sundays? 50? That's a lot of people. Do you really think they all believe in their hearts? I don't, I don't know. I could be wrong you, but I don't. When, when you're hungry, when you're hungry, you get up and do something about it. That's just like human nature. If you want something, you go and get it. You go to the refrigerator, you open that thing up, you take a sandwich and you eat it, and you make yourself a sandwich. You do something about it. Unless you're bored. Unless you're just bored and you're like, oh, I'm hungry, but I'm not really hungry. But made me think. Like, are we bored in our faiths? Like, are we really hungry for faith? No. What do we do? How do we, how do we do what we're supposed to do? Well, we do what Jesus did. 
which sounds kind of like, oh, we gotta go walking around for a long time in the desert? No, we gotta, alright, what he did, basically it sums down like four things. Love God, huge one. Love everyone, another huge one. Two of his greatest commandments, already talked about that. Don't sin, and tell everybody the good news about him, about God. That's all we have to do, that's only four things. And we fail to do at least three of the four daily. One of the last biggest aspects of relationships is the longevity of it. Longevity just means the length. I like the word. But in my mind, a two-year relationship is a lot better than a two-day one. That makes sense. But God, God wants a lifetime thing with you. That's why he died. He wants not more than a lifetime thing. He wants an eternity thing with you. He doesn't want a fling. So we have, to, we have to have a relationship with him that lasts a long time. Now, how do you do that? That's, that's sometimes hard. Sometimes you get out of youth group, you go off to college, and you just forget. You forget everything you learned. You forget about how much you cared, if you even cared. And you just fall off. There are ways to prevent that. One is pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians says that. And that sounds kind of daunting, but it's not. Really, you just got to be conscientious, conscientious and intentional about everything you do. Because if you do everything for God and in intention, with the intention of bringing more praise to him, that's basically living your entire life through a prayer. So, when you're just going to school, maybe you see a sad person, just do what Jesus would do and talk to them, help them out. Maybe slip a little Jesus in there and bring them to church. That's all you gotta do. Just be conscientious and intentional about everything you do. I mean, your entire life is for him. That, that doesn't mean, that's not even a big deal. Life doesn't matter. Who cares about sports or boys? Seriously. <laughs> you have to be tenacious and habitual about reading your Bible, praying, and going to church. If you do those things every day, it will become a habit. I'm going to be honest with you. I think, I don't even know, I guess church is a habit for me, but that's about the only habit I have out of um, three. Church. I mean, sometimes I forget. Not really, but, or sometimes I choose not to go for various reasons, I guess. Um, praying, I forget. I'll be too tired at night. And I just like, oh, I'll pray. I'll pray tomorrow because you think you have tomorrow, but you might not have tomorrow. And Bible, oh my goodness, Bible. I forget. Well, not even forget. I just think there's a better time for it. Everything, every time I think I should read my Bible. Like, oh, I'll do it tonight. Oh, I'm too tired tonight. I'll do it tomorrow. I have all day tomorrow. I don't have all day tomorrow. I'm stuck in the same rut I was before. You have to, you have to do that every day. Force yourself to do it every day. You'll, you'll become a habit. You'll have a long-lasting relationship. That's what God wants. It helps you stay focused on God. So, I all right. After soap study or church, I love going to church in the morning because I have the rest of my day 
Then I'm focused on God, youth group is good, but like, we go to Culver's, then I'm home and I'm napping. I'm not doing anything else. But church, I have the entire day where I might think of doing something bad and then I'll pop in my head, like, because Jesus is fresh in my brain, and I won't do it. I don't do those stupid things I usually do when I go to church in the morning or go to soap study or read my Bible in the morning. Anything. If you're praying all day, I guarantee you, you won't do those stupid things. Because you'll be fresh in your brain, you'll feel guilty about yourself, which you should. You should feel guilty. The last aspect of this relationship, it's not really an aspect of relationships in general, but this specific relationship, because this isn't this isn't a normal relationship, obviously. We have to remember that God is our Father. He's not just here to love us, He's here to lead and punish us when we do something bad. We have to treat him like a father and submit to what he wants us to do like we would a father. I mean, we're not always perfect at doing what our parents do. I'm not. Pretty bad at it, to be honest with you. My mom knows. She's thinking about it right now. But we have to submit to his will. It's his will, not ours. I guarantee you, if you were God and you decided what people were supposed to do, you would probably want them all to do super fun stuff. Fun stuff and sinful stuff. And but God knows better than us, He's an all-knowing being. So we need to submit to Him. We're not gonna be doing His will until we do what He says we are to do. We have to we have to deny ourselves that popular verse that PZ always loves. Deny yourself daily and take off your cross and follow him. We have to do that. If we're gonna have a relationship with God. James 4.15 says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord we will, if the Lord we will live, will, I don't even know, I might have messed up. <laughs> I want to forget that. Basically what it was saying is, if the Lord wills it, we wills what we do in our lives, then we do that. We don't do anything else. We have to submit completely and utterly ourselves to God. He died for us. We owe our lives to us. Life for life. That sounds kind of reasonable. I think um, if, let's say, a, a best friend went and died for you, you'd want to owe your entire life to them because that's a pretty big deal. We don't treat it like that. We should. But we don't. We don't submit. We don't care, most of the part. Most, mostly. Exodus said, well, in Exodus 2, I think. God, God came to Moses and he told him that he was going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into a better place, the promised land. And Moses, Moses was taken aback by this, and I think most of us would if a burning bush was talking to us. But he said, who am I? He's just a man. He didn't think he had, he's anything better than that. And he's right. He just killed a guy in the first chapter. He killed a guy. He's just a man. He's not any better than any of us. But God said to him, I will be with you. And that's really important if we're going to do anything with God. It's not us. We're not doing this. What, oh, this I thought about this a lot when I'm preparing to come up here. Because I can't do this. I, I don't like being in front of people. This sucks. But this is God. I, God will help you through everything he wants you to do. He's not just going to pat you on the back and say, go get a tiger. He's going to help you. He's going to be with you. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always be with you. 
You just gotta submit. It's pretty good. Progressing in our faith is difficult. It's the hardest thing to do. Putting putting God above everything you want is the hardest thing to do. Putting him above your wants, your needs, your sins, which is a hard one. Sometimes you really love your sins, but you gotta love God more. That's a huge one. That's hard. That's I think it's the hardest one. Only your knees. You gotta put them above your house, your kid, your kids, your spouse, literally everything you have. You gotta hate it all. And submit. That's a huge. That's a huge deal. I wrote a prayer before I came here a couple weeks ago. I wrote it down because I came online. I like to write things down. Um, um, and it basically just it said like. Um, he, his word says that he um, makes perfect weakness or something like that. Through weakness, he makes perfection. Something like that. We are all weak, imperfect people, and I think we can all agree with that. But in our weakness, God finds perfection. He finds a way to make us who we need to be for him. Paul wrote that I am, like, he, he's, a, he's always hating on himself. He thinks he's an awful person. He's, he was going around killing people, killing Christians before he was saved. And he always says, I'm weak. I'm most sinful out of all of you, so I know that God has changed me. God has made me who I need to be for his kingdom until I die and I don't get to chill. That's how we have to think. We're not, we're not good enough to do this on our own. He needs to be the center of our focus. You can't be stuck, stuck in the word, world. That revelation verse that all of you have heard. You can't be lukewarm. You have to be hot. There are, there are people out there that are depressed. There are people out there killing themselves. There are people out there turning to drugs, turning to sex, turning to a number of things. And we see that when we go about our days thinking we gotta focus on ourselves all, because we're simple and that's understandable. But we need to get better quickly because those people have the opportunity to go to heaven. But if they stay on the track they are, they might not. And that should, that should do something to you. You should feel a little compassion. You should feel God's love running through you and understand that that's awful. That hell is awful. And they have the opportunity to not go there, but you're not doing anything about it. We're not doing anything about that. And we need to. We're Christ followers. Christians, Christian means Christ followers. We need to follow him. We need to take up our cross daily and follow him. Our lives are not our own. God doesn't accept the half in, half out. We have to die to our lives. PZ has preached on this for more than a month. We have to die. It's more than knowing Jesus is God. We have to submit. We have to live for him daily. The world needs us. And it, it starts with us. I mean, there are other Christians, but we come in from a, a country of kind of relaxed Christians, I'd say, that aren't very urgent in anything. They just, because Christianity is normal here. It's like the it's the country's 
main religion, so we don't really care. We just assume everybody is a Christian until we're not. And we're kind of grossed out by the difference. Like, oh, we're not Christian? That's weird. And then we don't do anything about it. We might even shun them. We can't. That's not what we're supposed to do. 